The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is the book of 2 Peter. This is part six that we are dealing with. Now, last time we looked at the first half of chapter three. Today we will look at the second half of chapter three. And folks, this is the final message in our series on Peter. Wow, fantastic. Now, three key lessons before we get into our passage for today. Three key lessons that we learned last time, just to refresh your memory. Number one, in the last days, mockers will say, what happened to the promise of Jesus coming again? They will tease, they will mock, they will say, you know, you said that Jesus is coming again, and what's going on, and everything carries on as normal, nothing's going to change, and, and they will try to ridicule you and break down what is your whole impression in your heart, but I want to say this very clearly, that things will not continue on forever, things are going to change, and Christ will return, amen. Second key lesson that we saw is that God is eternal. With him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And sometimes we feel, Lord, why are you taking so long to fulfill your promise of returning? And it almost feels like what's going on and, and, and a sense of frustration. But you know what? We need to realize that God is an eternal God. He is not operating on our timetable. He's outside the realms of time. He's operating on his timetable, and his timetable is perfect. We worship him as the eternal God. Number three, God is tremendously patient toward us. We learned this last time. He is holding back the end so that all can come to repentance. God is wanting to give humanity every opportunity to be saved. No one will ever be able to come to God and say, God, you didn't give me enough of a chance to get saved. God says, no, I'm very patient, I'm waiting. And praise God that he's waiting because some of your and my family members need to bow the knee to Jesus. And praise God, they will have adequate time to be able to respond. So that was the three key lessons learned last time. Here we go. Our passage for today, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 18. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 to 18, reading from the New King James Version. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth 
in which righteousness dwells. Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, beloved, this affectionate term, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as, in, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do with the rest of scriptures. Before I read 17 and 18, let me just say it's interesting, this aspect of people twisting scripture. And that's why we have to know the word. So that when people come and try to twist scripture, we say, no, you're not rightly dividing the word of God. That is not what it means. You're talking like my dad would say, Tommy Rot. <laughs> you're talking Tommy Rot. Let me tell you, this is what the word of God is saying. But something I find interesting here is that Peter is saying of Paul that some of the things that Paul wrote were hard to understand. Now, I find this interesting because some of the things that I've written, sorry, that I see that Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Lord, I see some of those things are hard to understand. So I'm thinking, Peter, you wrote some things that are hard to understand. Now you're saying Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. So the bottom line is, sometimes if you read the word and it's a bit difficult to understand, just chill. Okay, because Peter also felt the same way. Look at verse 17. It says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked. Verse 18 says, but grow. Would you say the word grow? But grow. This is the last verse. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Can I get an amen? Please keep this passage open as we'll refer back to it several times, and we say, the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Do you love the word of God? We're a Bible-loving, spirit-filled local church. We're a Bible-based church. There are four things that I'd like to share with you today. Number one, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. You wanna know what the Bible teaches? You know what it says in, want to know what it says in 2 Peter? This is a clear thing. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Now, this term, the day of the Lord, what is meant by that term? There are two aspects there. It refers to both Christ's return as well as God's judgment upon the earth. So those two things. The day of the Lord is Christ's return, and God's judgment on the earth. And in essence, we could say that the day of the Lord refers to the events of the end times, which we are getting closer and closer to. Now, if you look at verse 10 in your Bible, you can follow with me. I am reading it in the English Standard Version. 
It says, but the day of the Lord will come how? Like a thief. And then the heavens will be burned, sorry, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, in years before, in Matthew 24, Jesus clearly explained how the day of the Lord would come. And he said, it will come unexpectedly. And here Peter is reiterating what he had heard Jesus say so many years before. And what I do love about this is remember when Jesus said that I'm going to heaven, but I'm gonna send the comforter. One thing that he said about the Holy Spirit is he said, he will bring to mind all the things that I said to you and told you. And it's so beautiful because many times in the epistles, in the New Testament, things are being shared and actually they are what was brought to mind by the Holy Spirit so that the disciples could remember it accurately and could write it down. But you know what? Still today, the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing to you. He is reminding you of the words of Jesus. This is one thing that he does. Praise God. And so I find it interesting that here, all these years later, Peter is reiterating what he heard Jesus say so many years before. But in addition, we know, in addition to Peter, we know that Paul, the apostle, and John, the apostle, they also spoke of the suddenness of the day of the Lord. The suddenness. Now, this aspect of the day of the Lord coming unexpectedly like a thief in the night. You know what? I reckon that South Africans can probably relate to, uh, you know, the aspect of a thief coming in the night. Some people I've heard say that you can actually these days put on your CV that I have lived in South Africa, you know? <laughs> Hardcore, I'm a South African. But in terms of this, my question to you is, how many of you can say that you have experienced a break-in at night? Raise a hand if you've experienced a break-in at night, okay? Quite a number of hands going up. But let me ask you, when that break-in took place, were you expecting the break-in? Of course not. Absolutely not. And that is just how unexpectedly the day of the Lord will come. Now, I know this aspect of a thief breaking in it doesn't sound very positive and so on, but the issue is not the negative of somebody breaking in and stealing. The issue is the unexpectedness of the day of the Lord. And so I want to say to you that the day of the Lord, it will be sudden. It will be swift. It will be startling. It will be unannounced. And it will take everyone by surprise. And there's an interesting scripture in Matthew 24, 27. It says, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so this is amazing to realize that the coming of the Lord will be as fast as lightning. Golly. Now, 
Would you please turn with me to Matthew 24? You can keep one place, uh, one finger in your Bible where we are in 2 Peter. But I'd like to ask, please turn to Matthew 24 in the New King James. We're going to look at verse 40 to 44. Give you a moment to get there. Matthew 24, verse 40 to 44. And this is Jesus speaking about this day of the Lord. Listen to this description. In verse 40 of Matthew 24, Jesus said, Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. By the way, that's not in the Bible. That's my own sound effects, okay? One will be taken and the other will be left. Watch, therefore. Would you say the word watch? Watch, therefore, for you do not know what the hour of your Lord coming is. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would have come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, listen to these words, be ready. Say those two words with me. Be ready, for the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect. So if we're not expecting it, how do we get ready? If it's going to come as fast as lightning, how are we to prepare ourselves? How are we to get ready? And I want to say to you, this is how you get ready. You get ready by ensuring that you have, listen carefully, the spiritual life of Christ within you. I want to say that again. You get ready by making sure that you have the spiritual life of Christ within you. You know that parable of the wise and the foolish virgins? The foolish ones didn't have enough oil in their lamp, and the wise ones had enough oil in their lamp. And I've heard people saying that the oil in that sense speaks of the Holy Spirit. As I understand it, in that story, it refers to the spiritual life of Christ. Because he who has the Son, if you have the spiritual life of Christ, you have life. And so while there is this aspect of being sudden and like lightning that God will come, it'll be so quick, you can be ready because you have the spiritual life of Christ within you. So I want to say, get ready for the day of the Lord. Get ready for the day of the Lord. And as Christians, we should not fear that day. Instead, we must really look forward to that day because we are secure in our salvation in Jesus Christ. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Number two, since the end is near, it is crucial that we live holy and godly lives. This is what Peter is saying. Since the end is near, it's not far, it's coming soon. And in the light of the soonness, it is crucial that we live holy and godly lives. Look at verse 11 in our passage. I'm reading verse 11 in the NIV. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? It says, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Verse 14, have a look at the second part. In the NIV it says, make every effort to be found spotless 
and blameless and at peace with Him. One thing that's clear from the Word of God is that over and over and over and over again in the Bible, God calls us to live a holy life. He calls us to live blamelessly before Him over and over and over again. And here's my question to you today. Are you serious about walking in holiness? I want to challenge you with what I'm saying today. I'm saying it boldly and unapologetically. Are you serious about holiness? I trust that you are. And I believe that the vast majority of everyone here, that you are serious about holiness. But sometimes when I hear of something's going on, it makes me realize, no, man, what is going on? Where is the fear for God? Where is this realization that the end is near? Perhaps you've heard this call to holiness over and over and over and over again. Maybe you become dull towards it. Maybe when you hear this call to holiness, it doesn't even move you anymore. And I want to say to you, please, let your heart change. When you hear the call to holiness, either from the pulpit or in reading the Word of God, make sure that you still respond like when you first got saved. And we need a response to this call of holiness. I want to urge you today, child of God, don't fool around with God. The end is coming and the day of reckoning is coming. Don't fool around with sin. Sin is not your friend. Sin is your enemy. Don't fool around with sin. But step up into your full potential in Christ Jesus. Because the good news is this. Let me tell you that you can live in victory. It's definite. It's guaranteed in the Word of God. You can overcome temptations. And it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can. And one of the things we learned earlier in Peter is this aspect that God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. Don't say, I can't, Pastor. You don't understand what I've been through. No, I understand what God's Word says. It doesn't matter whatever hellhole or gutter you've been in. God can take you out of that and He can cause you to live in victory. Those things are truly a thing of Egypt, a thing of the past, and you go into your promised land. Give God a hand of praise. You're in your promised land. God has equipped you to live in your promised land. And so this reality that the end is near should deepen our desire for holiness. And I want to say that we are not like the world. We are different, child of God. You are a royal priesthood, and you are a holy nation unto God. And sometimes the more we meditate on our identity, the more it helps us to live in accordance with who we are in Christ. Too many people think, I'm a miserable sinner. No. If you wash by the blood of Jesus, you are not a miserable sinner. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're a royal priesthood, and you are a holy nation. Come on. You say, well, John, what is holiness? You say there needs to be holiness and godliness. What is holiness? It means being dedicated to God and separated from evil. What is godliness? It means being morally good and honoring God with the way in which you live your life. And one of the things is that we need to be more mindful of eternity. We need to live with eternity in mind. This is something that I have been felt impressed upon as I've looked through 2 Peter and 1 Peter. 
We need to live with eternity in mind. Do you realize that so much of our time is spent pursuing material things? We are chasing after material things. We are trying to acquire more and more. But listen, material things are temporary. They're going to pass away. You don't take those things to your grave. And rather, we should, as children of God, give more attention to the spiritual things like godliness and holiness, which will last forever. Those are the true riches, man. Listen to the statement. We ought to turn from the tinsel and toys of this world and strive for holiness and godliness. For those of us that are still too consumed with the tinsel and toys of the world, may God just cause that desire in us to die off, that we desire the eternal things. Because really, in terms of the choices that we are making, folks, this is a choice between either material things that we pursue or spiritual things that we pursue. This is a choice between what is passing away and what is permanent. What we're facing right now is a choice between what is momentary and what is eternal. And so as for me, in my heart, and I believe in your heart, we want the long-term stuff. We want the spiritual things, the permanent things, the eternal things. Now, verse 11 in the passage translation says this. It says, since all these things are on the verge of being dismantled, this is the earth and the sky and all of this, don't you see how vital it is to live a holy life? We must be consumed with godliness. And so it's all about living a pure life to honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let me say, the fact that we will soon stand before the King should make us want to stand before Him blameless by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, earnestly look forward to the day of the Lord. Earnestly look forward to the day of the Lord. Why don't you say this out loud with me? Here we go. Earnestly look forward to the day of the Lord. Say it a bit louder. Earnestly look forward to the day of the Lord. The focus here is looking forward. As I was preparing this message, what became apparent to me was there needs to be a sense of watchfulness in our lives. We cannot just be obsessed with the present. There needs to be a sense of watchfulness. And we should not become slack in our hearts because God has appointed that day when the end will come and we live in that reality. And in our passage today, verse 12, verse 13, and verse 14, they place major emphasis on this aspect of looking forward. Let me just highlight it to you. If you look at verse 12, it says there, Looking forward, I've underlined that, for the and, uh, looking forward and hastening the coming of the day of God. Verse 13 says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And in verse 14, it says, therefore, beloved, looking forward, do you see the watchfulness to these things? 
And so I find it interesting that Peter is urging us three times to be forward focused. He says, looking for. He says, we look for. He says, looking forward. I want to ask you, child of God, today, are you looking forward in terms of your spiritual positioning of your heart? Are you looking forward? Are you expectant of the future? <laughs> Do you believe that we are going to see the Lord and He is coming back for us? Live with that sense of watchfulness and expectation. Listen to the statement. Looking forward to something in the future gives us strength for the present. Would you agree with that? And by the way, these prophetic teachings, which talk about the future, because actually what has been covered in Second Peter is aspects of what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. But let me say, these prophetic teachings about the future, they are not just given to satisfy our curiosity, to say, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, that's going to happen and that's going to happen. No, it's not just to satisfy our curiosity, but they are given to provide us with hope. And they are given for expectation to rise in our heart because of what we know will happen in the future. And so looking forward to something into the future gives us hope and strength for the present. Let me give you a little example here, some practical ones. Looking forward to the weekend gives you strength to endure in the week. Now, how many people have got somebody in their office that you know, I mean, it, it's, it's Monday and they're already telling you how many days it is till the weekend, you know? <laughs> Come on, be honest for a moment. Or it's Wednesday and they, they, they're posting something about the weekend. Or it's Friday, and then they start to go nuts. Ah, it's Friday, it's weekend, tomorrow's weekend, you know. But what is that all about? It's, it, it's just about the fact that it gives them strength and hope to do their work now, <laughs> to do the balance sheet now, to do that spreadsheet, to do that work now. Uh, another example is looking forward to the December holidays gives us strength for November. Help me, Jesus, in November. Anybody with me, you know? Suddenly everybody's so spiritual. No, I don't get tired. Not at all, you know? But it's true. And so sometimes when November is long, you start to think about December and you think, hey, we're gonna have good times. We're gonna swim. We're gonna bry. We're gonna uh, have a fantastic time. And that gives you strength for the future. But in the same way, spiritually speaking, looking forward to Jesus' return gives us hope and strength for here and now. This is powerful. And the enemy doesn't want you forward focused. He doesn't want you watchful because then he can keep you weaker. But he knows, the enemy knows if you start to look forward, then you are stronger, more able to defeat him. And I want to say, in line with that, let's keep looking forward. Please tell the person next to you, keep looking forward. Keep looking forward. What do we have to look forward to? What do we have to look forward to? Let me just read something to you. Don't turn there. It's Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5. It says, Now I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, 
and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there was no more sea. Sorry for the surfers. Then I, John, saw, what did John see? The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Now listen to this. God himself will be with them. And be their God. And this is beautiful. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank you, Jesus. There shall be no more death. This is what we have to look forward to. Nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write this. For these words are faithful and true. Folks, this is what we have to look forward to. And these words are faithful and true. Just imagine a new heaven. Just imagine a new earth. And you know what? It will be a world in which Everyone will be right with God because we will walk in the fullness of holiness and therefore our holy God, the great I am, the consuming fire will live among us, fully among us and fully manifested among us because we are the redeemed, fully redeemed, fully walking in holiness. Our God will be amongst us forever and ever and ever and ever. Point number four, which is a brief one. Grow in the grace of Jesus and in intimate knowledge of him. Isn't that a lovely point? Grow in the grace of Jesus and in intimate knowledge. And so we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. It's interesting that Peter is ending off his letter by emphasizing, hey guys, we need to grow. But he also started out his letter saying grow. I want to remind you, that you cannot just stagnate in your walk with God. You don't get to a place where it says, oh, I've been serving God for 20 years, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, underlined the Bible passages, and then you stagnate. No, you keep on growing. And so here, at the end of our series, he emphasizes growing. Look at verse 18 in our passage. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the Passion Translation puts this very beautifully. It says, but continue to grow and increase in God's grace, and listen to this, and intimacy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And so, from what I understand, this is what we as believers do in the meantime. While we are eagerly awaiting the day of the Lord, we grow in personal relationship with Jesus. And by the way, this is one of the keys that keeps us from falling into error because we are growing in relationship with Jesus and we are keeping our eyes on the Lord. And that helps you to stay in a place of victory. When Peter was on the water and looking at Jesus, it helped him to stay on top. And so this is what we do now. Yes, we're looking forward to what's coming, 
But now we grow in our relationship with Jesus. You don't only begin to know Jesus one day when you see him face to face. Otherwise, it's like an, a stranger that you're looking at. But the personal relationship with Jesus begins right here and now. And then one day when you get to heaven, you get to experience the fullness of relationship with him and your faith becomes sight. You are transformed into his image completely. And you know what? You begin to experience the fullness, the greatest of the fullness of relationship with him. I'm drawing to a close. Let me tell you this. Jesus wants you to know him better and better with each passing day. Jesus wants you to know him more and more with each passing day. And I want to encourage you, don't just settle for head knowledge, but open the depth of your heart to him. Because knowing Jesus, listen to this, knowing Jesus from the depth of your heart is the greatest joy in life. There is nothing better than it it is the finest of gold. It is the finest of sweetness, the finest of honey, knowing Jesus from deep within. And there's a song. And the words go like this. It says, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness. You're my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord, and I love you.